Welcome, welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, everyone. Welcome. It is March. It's March, March, March 2024. I hope you're having a wonderful year and time is flying by. Some very cool things happening this month. We wrap out everyone who has uh, just so wonderfully submitted their work in the Quill Hawk Publishing Contest. That was amazing. Also, if you didn't catch it, I was on Instagram Live with Tara Whitaker on the Instagram platform for Freelance Editors Club. It was awesome. Uh, we talked about why I edit books, how I came into this. It was amazing. Uh, but probably the best news that I've had is that we made it into the top 20 podcasts on Good Pods for writing podcasts. And that was amazing. That was so cool. So much fun. Uh, I'm. I was so glad. I'm trying to they give me a little badge and everything. I just can't figure out how to put it on the website. You know, hey, I'm a writer, not a website person. Um, so I'm excited to put it on there though. So this has been awesome. Thank you all so much for listening. It's a pleasure. So in this next interview, I am going to be talking with Gary Simmons, who was in the medical profession and then turned to writing. He is the author of Death's Pale Flag. I really liked his approach. You know, it was a very uh, like methodical, but also a learning experience. Um, we kind of talked about the industry as a customer service type of perspective and how he approached his editing. It was very insightful. So I hope that you all have a great listen and have a happy, happy day. All right, let's dive on in. Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, the show that helps you plan, write, and publish your book, even if you're a beginner or just feel like one. Now, for your host, she's written over a dozen books and helps others bring their books to life. Here she is, Maciel. All right, and welcome everyone from the How to Write a Book podcast. Gary, how are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Now, my first question is, where are you calling from? I am actually in a little town called Black Mountain, North Carolina now, and uh, it is 20 minutes outside of Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the mountains of western North Carolina. Oh, wow, is it snowing? No, uh, we we haven't had a lot of snow uh, with us up on the peaks every so often. We've seen some snow this year. Oh, okay, lovely. I'm in um, Southern California, so, you know, snow is just a fantasy over here. Well, it's <laughs> off in the mountains, right? It is. Way, 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 way over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Gary Simmons, author of Death's Pale Flag, as well as a few other nonfiction books that we would love to dive into. Um, now, thank you so much for being here. Before we get into the nitty gritty of how you even do your works, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself for the audience? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, uh, from, for most of my uh, professional life or adult life, I've been a neurosurgeon, you know, what people will often call a brain surgeon, um, and uh, have practiced in a few places. I started off in the Army at Walter Reed in D.C. and eventually ended up with Virginia Tech in, out in Virginia um, and 
did lots and lots of surgery and took care of a lot of a lot of people through the years. Um, I guess the way I got uh, involved in writing, first of all, in medicine, you write a lot no matter what. You're just always writing, right? Uh, writing patients' histories and physicals and stuff like that. Um, and then you're often writing uh, writing research type papers and, and things like that. But about 15 or so years ago, I got interested in burnout, particularly in healthcare providers, and did a lot of work in that realm. And eventually ended up writing three separate books on burnout uh, in various healthcare workers. Amazing. Yeah, I saw that you had those books also under your belt. Um, and that, that sounds totally what people need. I mean, not just, um, you know, within the medical field, but I think that's so cool that you brought that to your field, you know, because we're experiencing burnout throughout so many different industries and you're bringing it specifically to those, you know, who are helping others. So, I mean, it's so important. You know, what would we do without medical professionals if they're burned out? You know, I can't take care of myself. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're, they're telling us, you know, whenever you look at the data right now, they're saying 50% of doctors are burned out, uh, for example, and, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't bode well for, you know, how you take care of your patients potentially. So that's why we saw it as something that we really wanted to attack. But you're absolutely right. This is not, this is not, uh, isolated just to healthcare professionals. I think we're all, we're all in this mile a minute world of, you know, the modern day and we're being, we're multitasking. We're being exposed constantly to information streams from a thousand different angles. And I think it overloads all our circuits uh, to one degree or another. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Sometimes I just need to put everything away, you know, and, and it's difficult because I work completely remotely. So, you know, people can reach me. They should, or, you know, quote, unquote, should be able to reach me at certain points because you have my phone. I have my laptop. So, yeah, definitely that's a whole topic that we can dive into. <laughs> so I would love to know about your first fiction book that you've launched, Death's Pale Flag. You want to go ahead and let us know what is this book about? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you bear with me a little bit in its genesis, I, um, I, like I said, I was deeply immersed in the world of modern day neurosurgery and brain surgery. And um, it's a crazy world. It's a crazy world full of crazy things happening, amazing technology, a lot of tragedy, a lot of uh sorrow and and despair as well as you know great heights uh at times so I, through the years i would jot down just the observations and stuff always intending to write a book about what it's like so that people really could get a glimpse into that world and i i guess there were a few motivations one was just because I don't think a lot of people know what it's like uh but also i i always wanted to really impress upon people just how fragile everything is, how fragile our lives are, how easy everything that we cherish can be taken away. Uh, and so hopefully to to appreciate it more and enjoy it more, uh, kind of live for the day type of, of approach. And I thought, you know, just just seeing and hearing some of the stories might might make that more real. 
And originally, I started writing another nonfiction book about it. All, all the other books are nonfiction. And it was just so boring. At least I thought. Uh, it, it felt like I was writing a book report and, and I wasn't enjoying it. And then I thought, well, maybe if I write uh, it in wrap it into a fictional story that uh, it might be much more enjoyable, much more immersive, much more emotive for people to read it. Really, really come to understand it if they kind of find themselves in 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 the story in depth. So I originally came up with this crazy uh, plot. Uh, I got the book mostly written and decided, ah, that one stinks, and uh, I can't, I can't seem to make it, make it move. And then I came up with the idea, uh, frankly, of this concept that we in neurosurgery, at least, um, we spend a lot of time, and in the book we kind of used a metaphor, spend a lot of time on a bridge between life and death. And we see a lot of people crossing that bridge. We we are witness to a lot of people crossing that bridge. And we try to pull as many back as we can, uh, whether we're successful or not. Um, we try our hardest. But I, I started playing with the idea that if, if you were a ghost, if there's a ghost world out there, I started thinking uh, if the paranormal world exists, if there are ghosts, uh, and you are trying for one reason or the other to get across the bridge the other way or reach out to people on the other side. Maybe one of the first people you would run into is somebody like a brain surgeon who's just always hanging around. Uh, so in the book, what, uh, what happens is we follow a brain surgeon through kind of the normal paces, but he starts experiencing things that, that he doesn't believe are real, and at first he thinks they're hallucinations, but eventually he convinces them, himself uh, that they're ghosts, and he doesn't know why, and they're beginning to frighten him, and this starts to really erode into his life uh, and start to uh, affect his work, and more importantly, affect his his uh, relationship with his wife and children, and things start to, to crash around that. That's that sounds just so intriguing. Now, uh, before we continue, I know that we were talking about how um, you left surgery because there was, I guess, some an echo. I, I believe that you were hearing in your head, um, and I asked you if it, that was the inspiration for your book. But you said that those are not related. No, I, and when I, I again, maybe I was just using uh, wrong semantics. I I got sick, really sick. Uh, I don't know, thirty some years ago with a a unusual disease where your your immune system attacks the insulation of your nerves. Ironically, uh, the insulation of your nerves everywhere, and I was laid out for months, unable to do anything. Uh, basically, I, I wasn't even, you know, not thinking clearly, couldn't see straight, couldn't couldn't read, couldn't do anything. Uh, and luckily enough, um, if you survive it, it starts to uh, return to normal. Although I would I would argue not completely to normal. I could notice certain things, particularly when I was really tired. And uh, in the last few years, I was, you know, I was noticing these things more and more. And when I started, for example, getting double vision at times during an operation or my hands would start feeling clumsy, I said to myself, well, you can't you can't operate like this. So that's that's when I decided to step away. 
Okay. And do you feel like, you know, that's a very traumatic event in your life. Do you feel like you were able to pull some of those emotions or, or how that affected you into your fictional work? Uh, you know, potentially, I think it all become it, it all comes swirling in some big cauldron, right? All, all your experiences. I would argue probably that uh, writing the this book really uh, pulled up a lot of emotions, not because of my own illness, um, but because of all the stuff I saw. And uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. There are times when I'd be writing a passage and tears are flowing you know, down my face because it pulled back those memories of, of what people go through. And I, and as I was saying, I, I really want to get across how fragile the world is, how fragile our lives are. But I also really wanted to emphasize, and I think what brought the tears more than that, uh, is how incredibly brave uh, and human and and uh, the only word I could ever come up with that appropriately described it, but was full of grace. So many of the patients, the grand majority of the patients and the grand majority of their families were through the many decades that I was doing this. Um, and and so it, that, that was really easy to to tap into those emotions. I didn't need my own illness. I you know I, it was kind of like wow, just remembering and recalling kind of the chills that you would get from from these experiences made it very easy to write on. As a matter of fact, I wrote way too much. It was originally it was like two hundred and fifty thousand words. <laughs> And everybody told me, nobody's going to buy that. Your name's not Stephen King. So, uh, you know, I cut it way back to like 100,000. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Well, that's, that's <laughs> going to leap directly to my next question. So you have, you know, over 200,000 words. You know, you, you've kind of put, put it together. You're really driving through. How do you cut back? What was that process like? I th I think I'm lucky or narcissistic enough that I don't mind reading my own stuff. I know a lot of people hate rewrites. I actually enjoy it almost every time I do it. Um, uh, sometimes I, I really like the way I worded something, and sometimes I go, oh, you know, that could really be improved. Uh, but the reality is I, you know, I'm a rank amateur. I have no idea what I'm doing. I bought a bunch of books that you know, talked about how you write. Probably one of the most beneficial thing to me was I did have, uh, in the end, uh, two separate developmental writers go through it and make suggestions. And oh my God, did that help a, an amazing amount because, you know, you're writing away there and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, the people are really get this or though this is really going to be exciting for them. And, you know, you get a total outsider, number one, and and people who know what they're doing, number two, uh, to make some comments. And boy, it just felt like it just felt like open field running after they would go through it. Uh, so, you know, if it, I would thoroughly recommend it, particularly if, like I said, you're an amateur like me and you're just just dipping your foot into the uh, the, the fiction world. 
Yeah, it's so important to get feedback. Um, you know, I, we have this myth that exists in the, in the writing world, which, you know, is that solitary writer hunched over their desk, maybe like a candle next to them, and they're just going for it and they're suffering until finally, you know, this miracle of writing emerges from only their imagination. Um, but one of the things that I've loved to learn over my years here is that it's, it's so much wider than that. It's just like any other art where you should be getting feedback and you know, get other eyes, you know, learn from that feedback, keep growing, reiterate, rewrite, uh, which is exciting. I also, I also like rewriting too. It's, it's getting stuff onto the page. That's hard for me. <laughs> But I I, I 100% agree with you. You know, the more input, the better, I I think. Uh, It's uh, and I know it. Yeah, it you have an insecurity for sure. Right. I mean, when I don't know about you, but, you know, you get this feeling of. Oh my gosh, you're going to think I'm, I'm no good or I'm an yeah. idiot or I don't know or anything. Or, or something. Right, yeah. or I'm nuts. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and so, uh, you have to kind of slow that insecurity, I think, um, and, and accept, you know, constructive criticism. And boy, you know, what are the, what are the developmental, uh, editors kind of had a mean side you know they, they really uh took it to me but it, in some ways that's the stuff that gets in and uh, mm. you know i i don't need everybody telling me how lovely it is they need to say yeah this is crap get rid of that <laughs> and was that um that's how you got rid of those extra couple thousand words uh, yes and no. I think um, part of it is, uh, you know, one of the pieces of advice was um, you don't have to tell everything. You don't have to lay every second of a incident, every part of, uh, you know, a backstory, every uh, piece of a person's biography out that as a matter of fact and particularly for fiction I think um, people like to fill that in themselves I think it, it makes it more effective if they can kind of place themselves in there so if if you just roll it all out well then where do they where do they fit in it just becomes that book report again um so i thought that was really useful and and allowed me to hack out a lot that that makes a lot of sense i've seen that a lot within other writers of their manuscripts and one of the things i suggest is is okay like so you have all this backstory all this information now go like cut out all the way until you feel like you've done a little too far and take a little bit of a step back just a little bit, but all that stuff needs to go. We we will figure it out with the characters and, and we begin in. So that's a great point. Yeah, so I like the, that idea too. I like your idea there. That's probably the best idea is, I mean, be merciless. You can always add back in. Yeah, because you have it. You have the content, you know, and you can always weave that back in. But definitely we don't, uh, as readers, we're over here like, why do I have this biography that's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find your developmental editors? Um, did you go looking for them? And what were your criteria that you're like, this is going to be the person for me? Luckily, um, I tapped into a couple of people who, you know, are kind of in the business and they they made some suggestions. And interestingly, a couple a couple of the, the main people that they suggested um 
thought that the books might be a little traumatizing. They had their own medical experiences. And I, I warn everybody up front, I mean, this is eyes wide open. What happens in the operating room and the ICUs and the ERs? There is death. There is you know, hard stuff in there. Uh, and so I, they actually ended up referring yet again, but uh, anyway, landed on some really good people, I think. That's awesome. I, I love that you went looking for help and then that help got you to the right people because you're right. It's so important to get the right kind of person to read your work, you know, that has an understanding of the genre or of the expectations or can even just handle the topic. Um, that's really powerful. Now, during this process, did you feel like, well, you know, maybe uh, some disempowering thoughts or, oh, who am I to write type of thing? Any of those kind of thoughts hit you? Yeah, yes and no. In some ways, uh, I, I think some of, you know, it helps if you're writing the book at least somewhat for yourself, uh, if that makes any sense. Uh, I, I mean, I really do want people to read it for, you know, a couple of the reasons that I was talking about. I really want people to kind of see that world, understand it, recognize the fragility of life, recognize the bravery of their fellow people and, and all that. Um, and so, I, yeah, I do want a lot of people to to read it. On the other hand, that book was going to get written no matter what. <laughs> and so, so, uh, I think that helped where, um, I, you know, I felt like, you know, no matter what, I, if, even if I just leave it for my children, they, you know, maybe they'll have a better understanding why their, their dad was such a, a dope, but, uh, uh, and, and, you know, kind of go from there. So, that maybe gave me some freedom. The other thing, frankly, and, you know, I, I, I am have been well paid through the years. I don't need to survive on the book. Uh, so I'm not necessarily tied into having have it make great sales, uh, which might then feel like a lot of pressure, if that makes any sense. If I'm like, I have to sell this to make a lot of money. Boy, you are, you know, that's a steep hill in the modern publishing world, right? The, there are very few who are going to make a, a great living out of, out of their books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess that was somewhat empowering because again, I could do it. I, I almost, mm-hmm. I almost used it too as a learning process. I mean, I, I wanted to learn everything there was to writing a novel and, I certainly learned a lot about, you know, agents and lack thereof, lack of lack of interest in you and that sort of thing. That's so interesting um, that you've put into that perspective, you know, without having that extreme pressure, you wrote the book for yourself, you know, and that's so important because so many writers, I think we, there's, but this actually goes back to like burnout and overwhelm. We have so many different messages, you know, YouTube, podcasting, blogs, um, and it says, well, here's how you can make this much money. Here's how you can make a billion dollars. Here's how you can do this. Um, And I think that we lose sight. We lose sight of why am I writing this book? Why do I love this story? You know, and I think that that's an excellent reminder for everyone that getting you through, pushing through on the the story that you want to write. I mean, that that can make all the difference to getting stuff done and having your work seen. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, and it's it's like I said, when I was first writing it as a nonfiction book, it felt like work. 
Mm-hmm. When when I started writing it as a novel and just putting a story out, all of a sudden it it, it felt liberating. It it just was a joy, mm-hmm. and and I I actually loved doing it. My my poor wife, you know, part of me retiring early. I retired earlier than I had planned, but part of it was you know I, I'm going to give much more time to my wife. She long suffering kind of a single mom, you know, because I'd always be in the operating rooms, but um, I would sit down and start writing and, you know, eight hours later realized I hadn't stood up. And, oh, no. uh, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it was just a joy. Uh, but, you know, it, it's also, I have that luxury of, of that's not going to be my sole income stream. Uh, if it was, I, I think I would feel more like this is work. God, mm-hmm. this I'm, I'm working too hard. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And I had a question. Going back to the editing uh, process, mm-hmm. I'm curious, did you, how did you do it? So did you do like one development, de- developmental editor and then take their comments and then do another one? Or did you do them both at the same time? Um, a, a, a little bit of both ultimately, but uh, I had planned to do it serially. And then it was coming back so slow from the first one that I thought, ah, right, well, I'm just because one of the, one thing you learn about neurosurgeons, we're impatient. Uh, what one of the one of the things, for example, I I originally was going to go the try to go the traditional route, and I I wrote my query letters to all these agents all over the place, and and I, I by the way, I'm going to diss the agents and the and the. Uh, the industry to one degree or another. It is a rude, nasty uh, industry when it comes to, you know, submitting queries. Not Nobody wrote me nasty things. They just didn't bother to answer, period. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the slightest bit of courtesy just to be able to write back and say thanks, but no thanks. That's all they have to do. But they would just you know, completely ignore you. Uh, and, you know, I I was in a service industry. I just can't imagine treating people like that. So, you know, for the many, many authors who are trying to get their stories out there and get them, find an agent and all that sort of thing, the very least the agents could do is just be polite and, you know, say thanks, but no thanks. And then we can get that. I agree. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. Okay, hold on. We're good. We're good. Okay. I agree, though. I 100% agree. Um, you know, we've been, or at least I, I haven't even shared more of my insights, but the more that I'm interviewing people, the more that I'm learning about so many different things that are within this industry uh, that, you know, can be improved, you know, and from the customer service side, uh, from how we put like certain works on a pedestal, but why are they there? Because of like huge marketing budgets, you know, they don't tell you that, you know, the reason that it's selling so much is because it's literally in front of everyone's faces. I mean, there's this whole, I should do an episode on that one day, but you're still yeah. right. Much to improve on, much to improve on. Yeah. No, so you're he, right. It's a big morass once you start. I mean, and then when you release it and I, I mean, I had no idea all the stuff that we're, supposed to do to market and and unless you're Stephen King even if you're in a big publishing house anymore you got to do a lot of footwork you got to you know get on the social media and have opinions and say this and say that and I don't know it's it's interesting but again for me it was great because it was I was learning a whole new field a whole new industry 
Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. 100% agree with you. Um, and I was going to ask, did you have editors for your nonfiction work as well? Was the process the same or how was it different? Um, when we did the nonfiction, um, the uh, two of the books went through a, um, a big medical um, consulting company who had a publishing arm. So it, it's kind of more traditional publishing, although it's not in the big five or whatever. It's a, it's big in the medical realm. And uh, they had their own editors that, that went through. Um, I, I, luckily, they were pretty happy with it. And again, I, I don't mind rewriting. So I spent a lot of time rewriting. Um, and they seemed you know, fairly happy. In other words, there weren't major draconian changes, but, you know, the, the the books were more factual. They were more clipped. They were, you know, just more to the point and stuff. So I think uh, th there was less that, say, a developmental editor might do with it. And you ended up choosing a hybrid publisher, correct? What yes. was that experience like for you? How did you find the right one? I I think it's... I think it's, again, uh, if you have the luxury of having some money, uh, it's a really good experience. Um, and it's not, it wasn't exceedingly expensive or anything like that, but it's one of these things with, with some of the independent, uh, uh, publishers where you kind of share upfront expenses to one degree or another. Um, and, you know, the publishers say, we put, you know, we put this much into every book uh, and, you know, we, we need you to help support this component of it. So, for example, uh, they had their own developmental editor as well. So actually it went through three developmental editors in the end, I should say. Um, and you, you pay for that independently. Um, the but they also go through a selection process so you you still have to query them they read the book they decide if they're you know going to uh, join you with it uh and so at least they you know they say they are very selective uh and seems to be they have some you know they seem to have some very good books uh coming out and all so i think it's not the, it's not the same as just publishing your own book. They you still have to get through a selection process, uh, but then they you know it was a development a developmental editor, a copy editor. Um, there's one other type of editor, whatever you know, just to just to polish it up. They have great uh, cover artists. Uh, they make all the arrangements. They put you into, you know, the various distribution services uh, and all that. So it's been very, uh, I think, very good. I think it, it has helped me a lot, particularly because I have no idea where to go, you know, and they do. That sounds great. I mean, I, I'm so happy that your experience has turned out very well because we've had a mix of people on the show. They have different experiences with hybrid publishers and some are not so great and others have been good like yours. So I'm super happy to hear that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Now, was there anything surprising about your journey that you've learned that you're like, wow, I didn't know I was going to do this or maybe something about your, your own writing that you've learned that you would love to share? Yeah, I think you learn a lot about your own writing all the time, uh, mostly that it's not all that good and can always be improved <laughs> upon. Uh, and it is so amazing when you go back, you know, and 
if you, it's been a, a few months since you went through the first few chapters or whatever, and you go back and you go, oh, my God, what could I have been thinking when I put put things together this way? But I think one of the most fun things, and this is kind of one of the reasons why I would love for it to be read, you know, widely, uh, because I love talking to people about it. I guess maybe it's narcissistic again, but somebody and they're quoting somebody and I don't remember who or anything, but somebody made a point and I think it's really neat and it's really fun. And that is that the minute you release your book to the public, the minute it goes out, it's not yours anymore. People interpret it in so many different ways. And I've been at book clubs and stuff like that where, you know, they'll often ask me, so what were you thinking when you had a ghost do this or uh, that? And I've learned I'm not even going to answer. I just turn it around and go, well, what were you thinking? And <laughs> it is really a wide range of responses to your story and you begin to go geez i wonder if i was thinking that. if that was going on subconsciously or something in fact your idea is far better than my idea was um and, but i think that it, it makes it very organic it makes it very living it, it it just becomes something that takes a life of its own and and some people will get, you know, will get real pleasure out of one thing. Some people will get real pleasure out of another. Some people really got mad at me for the ending. Some people were like, it's a great ending. I can't believe you did that. Um, and, and so, uh, I don't know that, that has become the most fun part about the whole thing is actually listening to other people's how it affected them and what what it made them think and what they thought the motivations of the characters were and stuff. So, like, even, you know, the characters aren't mine anymore. They're theirs. They, mm -hmm. the, the characters have their motivations, not my motivations. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so, so and, and that's something that you have on your website for book clubs and book discussions. Uh, discussions. I, I'm curious, um, how did you start on your book discussion, like, I want to say, like, train, like, how did that start for you, and how's it going? It sounds like it's been great. Yeah, it 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 uh, comes and it goes. Usually still, I wish there was, as a matter of fact, I was thinking of making my own website or podcast, because I was looking for, I think this would be a great idea, and I don't see a lot of resources. Maybe I've just looked in the wrong place, but it would be nice to have a resource where um, book clubs across America log themselves in, said the type of people they would like to, and the type of genres, the type of books, and and authors could contact them and say, yeah, we could do a book club together because you can you could easily do a book club on Zoom, for example, if, if it's halfway across the country. And if it's local, I would certainly go. So when I do the book club things, it's usually through connections uh, more than that so far. I wish there was that, you know, a solid resource for doing that. And I, I, like I said, I thought maybe if I came up with a, you know, create my own website or something. So maybe, maybe we'll try that or maybe somebody will be inspired to do it. Um, but it's, it, it's a blast is all I can say. What, what usually happens is, is a collection of, you know, anywhere from 10 to 40 people, uh, depending on the book club and they'll, you know, they'll introduce you one way or the other, and they'll often they'll say something like, you know, you do want to make some re remarks about your book, and I kind of say, well, I, I'd, I'd almost prefer if I get some remarks from you guys, and it's very, as soon as you open that up, 
they're 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 uh, willing to give some remarks. And if it's <laughs> if it seems like it's stalling, what I've used is so. Uh, tell me what you thought about the ending because that seems to be the most controversial part that I've run into so far. So I think maybe picking a part of the book you know might stimulate some emotions or some opinions if it seems like, you know, it's not gaining momentum yet. But boy, I'll tell you, once it gets rolling, uh, if the time goes like that, uh, and, and you hear all these neat and amazing thoughts. And, you know, who goes to book clubs? It's smart people who read a lot. So, you know, you're learning from them and you're, I, I sometimes write down things and go, that's going in another book. <laughs> yeah, me too. Absolutely. I have like a little notepad with me and I'm like, I'll write that down. Hold on. <laughs> that is such a great idea. Let me know if you do that. I would love to be part of that. You know, I, because then, like, for people like me, like, we're looking, you know, for amazing authors with amazing stories. So, like, I would definitely show up. Yeah, I was hoping, I was hoping, you know, on my own website, I was hoping that I put it in kind of, you know, bold stuff. If you're a book club, contact me. I'm happy to do it. it. Not much has come through that, to be honest. So I maybe not enough people are looking at the website, but uh, it, it's mostly been through connections. But yeah, that I, I so far I have not found a really uh, vital resource for, for doing that. And mm-hmm. I think with all the amount of people out there writing and putting out books and all the book clubs out there, it could be a really beautiful marriage. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And it'd be a great resource. Yeah. Um, so we are getting close to our time. So before we start to wrap out, um, I would love to know, is there like a single tip or motivational tidbit that we haven't covered that you could share with our audience? I, I, uh, I think we've actually probably covered the biggest one that I would, I would throw out there, uh, is, Probably two we've already covered, but one is get as much input as you can. Uh, you know, we, we both thoroughly agreed on that one. But, yeah, you know, and it was nice to have true professionals. But also I got so much out of my daughter-in-law and my, you know, a friend down the road and a fellow surgeon. And, you know, in other words, don't be afraid to get it out there and, and really let people have at it because uh you know you first of all you don't have to obey everything they tell you you can you can keep to what you want but you will get some great ideas uh and and i think then the other thing is if at all possible you know try not to uh write for what you believe is going to be most popular that very quickly might become boring. Uh, I think you write out of your heart and, you know, try to get your heart onto the page. And there's a good chance people are actually going to find that far more moving and interesting. Mm, thank you for sharing that. I agree. You know, it's thank important you. to in your heart. Definitely. Um, now, where can everyone find you and find your work? Uh, the By far the easiest thing is just my website, which is just my name, Gary, G-A-R-Y-R, for my middle name. So it's Gary R, and it's spelled like Simons, S-I-M-O-N-D-S. So it's GaryRSimons.com. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So this has been Gary R. It's so it's Simmons, though, right? Like you say, it's Simmons. I, I pronounce it Simmons. It's about 50% of how people pronounce it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Um, author of Death's Pale Flag, along with a couple more nonfiction books. Um, so thank you for being here. We really appreciate your time, really appreciate your input. And um, are you working on something else that we can look forward to? Yeah, I, uh, a lot of people have told me I have to write a sequel to Death's Pale Flag. I wasn't really planning on that, uh, but I'm, I'm almost done, uh, with a YA book, uh, and I wanted to do a few YA books because I want kids to be reading. So, uh, it's totally, you know, kind of a totally different direction, but. Oh, awesome. Well, let us know. We'd love to have you back on the show. Thank you. Well, so thanks. Much. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Gary, from the How to Write a Book podcast. This has been a pleasure. And thank you for spreading this message and for being part of the writing community. Truly my pleasure. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the How to Write a Book podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you want to keep up with me and my work, check out the website, blackheartedstudios.com. That's www.blackheartedstudios.com. And follow me on Instagram, at Maciel Writes. That's at M-A-S-S-I-E-L Writes. As a book coach and publisher, I'm passionate about helping aspiring authors bring their stories to life. So if you've been dreaming of writing a book and don't know where to start, head to my website and let's chat. You get a free 30 minutes on me. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the How to Write a Book podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. If you want to keep up with me and my work, check out the website, blackheartedstudios.com. That's www.blackheartedstudios.com. And follow me on Instagram, at Maciel Writes. That's at M-A-S-S-I-E-L Writes. As a book coach and publisher, I'm passionate about helping aspiring authors bring their stories to life. So if you've been dreaming of writing a book and don't know where to start, head to my website and let's chat. You get a free 30 minutes on me. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks. Thanks.